friends, and welcome to National Deer Association's Coffee and Deer Podcast with your hosts, Nick Tenizzato and the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Uh, in this episode, our guest is going to be Brian Lynn. He's the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Sportsman's Alliance, and we're going to talk about attacks on hunting uh, and people who are trying to take that privilege away from us. And uh, no, contrary to popular belief, deer hunting is not immune from those attacks. And I'm sure Brian is going to help talk through some of that with us. And uh, Brian, uh, introduce yourself, man. Hey, Nick. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, as you said, Brian Lynn from the Sportsman's Alliance, uh, VP of Marketing and Communications. So uh, I run all of the uh, outward facing and a lot of the inward facing media, uh, social media that you see, magazines, whatever else. But uh, yeah, I uh, am up here in Washington State, uh, kind of the hotbed for controversy these days. And uh, yeah, go figure my home state and they've screwed it all up. So I think trouble uh, just follows you around. I think that's it does. I, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we can get into that. But uh, yeah, I grew up here and uh, kind of do a little bit of everything hunt, fish. You know, uh, upland birds, waterfowl, big game, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, love the job and uh, love working in the community. Been in it for 24 years now with, uh, you know, freelance and did uh, Outdoor Life magazine. I was senior editor before that at ESPNoutdoors.com. So came from the media side of things and uh, I've made a career having fun hunting and fishing and writing about it. I was just sitting here thinking, I can't believe how old you got. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think about that every day. I, Whoa, wait, how'd that happen? I used to be the young guy in the room. Well, I got to ask you real quick, because I just ran into you, obviously, in Vegas at SHOT Show. Are you over the annual SHOT Show illness at this point? I think so, yes. Uh, it. Uh, I've actually evaded it for like the last two, three, four, five years. Like it's been something I started thinking I was Superman, couldn't get sick anymore. And, uh, yeah, I just thought I was hung over. <laughs> when, when I saw you, I was like, oh, I don't feel great. I'm hung over. No, no, I had some virus and I went back to my room and I was in there for about two days straight, came home, gave it to the girlfriend and she was sick for three days. So it was about a three day thing that it just knocked you on your butt. And it wasn't the crud. It was more like a viral, uh, issue, but uh, yeah, I finally kicked that and starting to get rid of the hack from some earlier sickness. So feeling good again, I think. Well, that's good. Yeah, I come back. I didn't get a virus, but I did have some type of cold. And every once in a while, even now, I still get like a coughing jag, which is just annoying. But uh, that's the beauty of the shot show. Hey, and as always, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman, is here with us this morning. Mike. Uh, as you know, and the listeners have probably figured out at this point, we're trying a new format where our guest will be with us from start to finish. So odds of us pulling this off successfully. Uh, I think they're pretty good. Uh, just as long as we don't talk too much, right? Well, that's the whole point of this, right? Less of us and more of the guests, I think, will make make people happy. But uh, no, at any rate, just trying to keep it a little more interesting. And so um, good to have the doctor in the house, of course. Brian, give us an elevator speech. What is a Sportsman's Alliance? Well, the Sportsman's Alliance, as you all know, is an advocacy organization, and we are founded in the 1970s to protect, uh, well, it came from a ballot initi initiative that was in Ohio to ban trapping, 
the 70s is when you saw the uh, animal rights movement really get into the political arena. You know, it's been around for years and, you know, this whole argument about animals and stuff. But uh, that's is when they started flexing their political muscle. And Sportsman's Alliance, that was kind of the genesis, a uh, bunch of uh, businessmen and wildlife biologists and just good old Joe's, you know, rod and gun club guys got together and uh, fought this ballot initiative and then went back to work. And uh, the, as we all know, the animal rights movement didn't stop there. They kept going to different states, passing ballot initiatives or trying. And so other states would call asking how to do this. And that formed the Sportsman's Alliance. So we've been around for almost 50 years now and we work on ballot initiatives still. But uh, the bulk of the work comes in all 50 state legislatures. We're active in all 50 state legislatures, monitoring the bills that are moving through there that impact hunting, fishing, trapping, basically wildlife management. So that's a big chunk of it. And then we also work in state and federal court to make sure that hunters and anglers are represented, their interests are represented, uh, whether that's partnering with fish and wildlife to fight off attacks from the animal rights movement or suing fish and wildlife to make sure that something isn't uh, nefarious going on and that uh, the wildlife management model isn't being changed. Yeah, that's certainly a lot of stuff that you all do there. And as you said, you started off with, as you well know, so full disclosure, uh, Brian and I used to work together at the Sportsman's Alliance many moons ago. Uh, and so actually, Brian, when we hired you, I was I was just thinking about this as I was putting the show notes together. We were really innovators, right? Because we hired you as a remote employee before remote employees were kind of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so, uh, you know, now it's it's common or become more common. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing this, well, for 10 years with the Sportsman's Alliance. And then, uh, you know, pretty much uh, freelancing six years before that. So I think I've been in 24 years. I think I've been in the office about six or seven is all. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think that just means you're doing it right. But uh, no, I remember back whenever you were uh, interested in coming, I thought, yeah, here's this like really talented guy that would be great at this, but he isn't going to move to Ohio. And so we just got around that and solved it. And did you ever think you'd be there this long? Uh, no, I mean, this is the longest I've ever been someplace. I was at uh, ESPN for six years and Outdoor Life for two or three. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's like, wow. And I don't know where 10 years has gone. Like, it doesn't seem that long ago that I started. And all of a sudden, here we are 10 years later and, uh, you know, grinding it out, still fighting these guys. And, yeah, I like to say I try to put myself out of business, but uh, it seems like there's <laughs> more uh, have more job security than anybody right now with how things are going. So, yeah, it's good and bad, I guess. But I, I'll keep trying to put myself out of business. Yeah, we know that won't happen, but uh, it's interesting you bring up ESPN again because people, there are probably people listening to this that don't even realize that ESPN back in the day used to have a very robust ESPN outdoors segment, and you were all part of that mechanism, and you don't really see much of anything on ESPN outdoors anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you know, they always had a little bit of it, but then when they lost the NASCAR contract in, what, 99? Uh, to Fox, they were looking for the same kind of demographics, and they always they had this little outdoors link on their website that was nothing. And a uh, guy who you know was a third party production company for him was like, I can sell that. And mm -hmm. so they launched this big 
online presence. Then they did the outdoors blocks on Saturdays and Sundays and, uh, and launched into that. And so that was really a fun time to, uh, geez, I'm sorry. Um, really fun time to be a part of that. Uh, we, we built the thing from the ground up, the website from the ground up. ESPN at the time, at the beginning, really didn't care what we did. So I got to do anything <laughs> I wanted, which that can be dangerous, as you well know. Right. Um, but uh, it, it was kind of neat because, you know, we had, I was in charge of the headline news section. And I was like, what, what, what news is there going to be? Like, I don't know how to, you know, what we're going to put up there. Well, you know, they had the AP wire and stuff and I'd go through there. Man, that that section was probably the most popular section there was. I'd be pulling up shark attacks and bear attacks and, you know, all uh -huh. sorts of stuff. And, I mean, it would take off. I think one year we had the three of the top ten most emailed stories in the ESPN universe. The story I wrote was number two behind Jeff Gordon getting divorced. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Wow. So that was, that, was, that was a fun time and, uh, you know, just wide open. Before we get into issues, I think at this point, I just have to be honest and say, you know, the real reason I brought you on today was to publicly shame you for being part of the mechanism that stole Torin Miller away from us. So Torin, five minutes ago, was our policy guy here at NDA, and now you guys stole him, and he's just like being a, being a real attorney now for you guys. Yeah, yeah. No, it. uh well, you can try to shame me for that. We're we're pretty proud of that. Uh, he's he's a smart guy, you know, good talent right there. So we're looking forward to uh, doing some things with him and engaging and getting, uh, you know, kind of that. We're at such a high level with the state stuff and uh, the legislation that is going to have be nice to have somebody like him to be able to dive into some of the more you know state based policy and you know, possible legal action stuff that uh, we'll be able to do a little more friendly. Yeah. And he's going to fit in great with you guys. Uh, so whenever he was explaining what he was going to be doing, I just said, you know, this is just really a perfect fit for you and a perfect fit for them. And so I'll be looking forward to what he's doing there and getting into the, the litigation side of it, which is a whole other world. And there's, there is a competitive part of me that misses that a little bit from my days at the Sportsman's Alliance and sort of being in the war room and figuring out how to fight these guys and all that sort of thing. So speaking of fighting the, fighting the bad guys, let's get into some of the issues because I think largely our audience, probably 90% of the people listening are deer hunting focused or deer focused. Uh, and they may be unaware of a lot of things that are going on sort of in the anti-hunting world. And so um, let me ask you this out of the gate, and then we'll get into some specific things that, that I had noticed that are going on. But just what's your top issue right now? What do you think the biggest thing is you're working on? Whew. Well, from the 30,000 foot level, like you said, there's, you know, different instances and different laws and different everything that's taking place. And it's, you know, there's a common thread throughout the country. Um, but then the 30,000 foot level, and this is where deer hunters need to pay attention. Because like you said, deer, they're not attacking deer hunting head on, Right. They're, they're not going after to change regulations very often or ban things for deer hunting or even elk hunting a lot. What they're doing is called rewilding. It's been around for decades now, but they've really kicked it into high gear over the last five, six years. And, you know, it, Humane Society of the United States is behind this. And there's a new group called Wildlife for All, which 
had a different name and they switched it, but all the board members are all still Humane Society, United States, Center for Biological Diversity, Sierra Club, all your animal rights, environmental groups. And they're pushing for and finding traction with, that's the scary part, finding traction with changing game commissions and how wildlife is managed at the commission level. And they want it to be more democratic and empathetic and whatever. Basically, when you boil right down to it, it's a pro-predator preservationist idea. They want to preserve everything. They want to remove hunters from the landscape, reestablish your predators, not just coyotes, but black bears, mountain lions, wolves, and have the, have the predators manage the deer populations and bring the ungulate populations down. As we all know, when herd numbers drop, opportunity drops for, for people. They remove tags, reduce tags. And so that's kind of their big play, big plan from the upper level is to get hunters off, off of the landscape. And that includes your deer hunters. And so that's why deer hunters need to pay attention to what's happening with predator management because of down the road, it's going to have an impact on you. The stupidity, the stupidity of that approach, however, <laughs> uh, is ringing in my ears right now to the point of, okay, if they actually understood anything at all about wildlife management, they would also understand that prey animals are pretty good at adapting to and surviving with predators. And so their argument then would come back and be something like, well, yeah, but then before humans, you know, yada, yada, that's how they controlled them. But you know what? You can't say before humans. We're here now. It's a completely different landscape environment. And so therefore, we will still have prey species that absolutely will need uh, control, human control. Uh, otherwise, the amount of conflicts, disease, and other challenges uh, would be endless. So, uh, Mike, you look like you want to weigh in here. Well, and as you were saying, just to kind of V off from that, predators don't understand the difference between a targeted prey species and prey species. Food is food is food. They're opportunistic. And so someone's dog, sheep, cow, goat, chicken, otherwise, because of humans being on the landscape, is still on the menu. And that's just a, a thought process that I'm sure doesn't go through their mind until they see Fluffy go flying over the fence in the mouth of a wolf or a coyote or something like that before they realize that that was a bad idea. I don't even think they realize it then, you know, at yeah. least they haven't yet, you know, because this, there's still so many, you know, so much prey out there. I remember talking to a wolf biologist and he said, 80% of wolves won't cause a problem. 20% will. Well, that's under these ideal conditions where we have a lot of prey out there as the wolf population grows and it's compounded with black bears, grizzly bears, mountain lions, coyotes, and those populations keep growing that base is going to shrink even more. And then what do you have? You, you need, they're going to turn more often to livestock mm -hmm. and pets and children, you know, and, and when it happens now, you can read any newspaper and they'll say, well, it's rare. It's only happened three times in the last hundred years or something like that. Or there's not a documented wolf attack in, in uh, the United States in the last 150 years. Well, that's because we didn't have wolves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're leaving out part of the equation here. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't happened because we didn't have them. 
or their numbers were low enough that it was a rare occasion, you know, but uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's going to compound and keep growing as those herd numbers go down and the predator numbers go up, that predator pressure goes up. And as Nick said, they adapt. Like we do a bear hunt every year in Idaho and the elk have moved down into the valleys, hanging out around people. Yeah, there is still backcountry elk and whatever, but a large portion of them have moved down around into the farms, which then creates a problem with depredation of crops, you know, but they're hanging out right there by houses because of the wolves won't come in. So now you created a whole nother scheme of problems. Hey, tell me about this senator in Nebraska that wants to defund the game and parks department. Man. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's yeah. a, a good one. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'd like to say it's some one-off crazy thing, but we saw it last year in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. You know, they tried to do a game fund raid. We saw it also uh, out of Georgia at the federal level to remove the Pittman-Robertson uh, monies and tax from ammo. So it's starting to become a theme and something we're going to keep watching. But, uh, you know, it, largely, I, not to paint things red and blue because it's rarely that simple, but usually the Republican folks are more on our side, you know, when we have this kind of stuff. The ones making these game raids, game fund raids, tend to be Republicans, though, right. which is kind yeah. of, you know, we got to call him out on that. And so we called him out on it yesterday. And apparently he has a beef with how game and parks is being run. Hey, I get it. I'm in Washington State, for God's sakes. Like our game department's fine. Our game commission is completely screwed up. Well, he's taken out his personal frustrations, whether I don't know if he can't catch a fish I know he wants to move the game department from Lincoln, Nebraska to Sydney, Nebraska to take up Cabela's old uh, oh, headquarters there. But he's also a realtor. And so if you moved all those folks there, I see a conflict of interest of who's going to make money there. But I get trying to move business to your district. But the bottom line is he has a beef with, and we don't know exactly what that beef is, with how game is being managed. And so he is trying to take as much money from the game and fish or game and parks department as he possibly can. And so he wants to wants to take some of the appropriations away, $7 million here, $200 million or $25 million there. And so he's trying to defund them as a, you know, flex on them basically to start managing how he sees fit, you know? So it's a, uh, it's not good. You know, the, those habitat funds, habitat stamps were paid for by hunters mm. and he's trying to raid that, which is always a concern, you know, with Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson state funding that they try this, you know, every few years to raid these dedicated monies that hunters and anglers have put in willingly taxing themselves. They try to raid that money and move it over to the general funds. And so it's something we've always had to fight and it's starting to ramp up again. So we'll see if this becomes a more uh, prevalent pattern. Uh, I can tell you that almost without exception, when you have a legislator that is going after a state wildlife agency, it is almost always because they have either some personal interest uh, or something to gain on their end or because they had something 
uh, not go their way that they didn't like. And so it always comes down to uh, something personal. And inevitably, I mean, the good news about that, I guess, is is that one person doesn't get to vote and change the world, but they're, you know, change how game departments are funded. However, um, things can get on a ballot initiative, which is a whole other deal altogether, which we haven't gotten into, and, and information can be spun. And then the next thing you know, you have people voting on something they have no clue what they're voting on and, you know, name the senator you know, congressperson, whatever, they end up getting their way. So it still is scary. We can't ignore it. Yeah, well, and this one was tucked into an appropriations mm-hmm. budget bill. So it, it's a bill that was tacked on to the appropriations and tucked in there. And so they're voting on the whole biennium spending bill for the entire state, you know. And so a lot of, a lot of times, you know, legislators will overlook that and be like, I'm not going to hold up the spending bill for all these important social needs because of this hunting part of it, you know? So that's, that's the scary part. We did get the governor to uh, one of his people to come out and say that they recommend removing it. So it's still being discussed, you know, but if it passes out of this appropriations committee, it'll hit the Senate floor for a vote. And that's what's scary is we're that close to this actually happening. So that's why we put out the alert yesterday and and got people fired up about it and and tried to uh, put that pressure on there is to get this point out of there because it's one vote away from hitting the Senate floor for for a full vote. And they're just a a one house. You know, it's just the Senate in Nebraska. They don't have to. They're not bicameral where they have to. It has to go through the House and Senate. Something I was unaware of, I learned by going through your website. And so one thing I am aware of is that a lot of times these ta- attacks are sort of sneak attacks. Credit card privacy bills. You guys are hot and heavy on those right now. What are those? Yeah. So this is something you saw come out a couple of years ago and it, it came out of the banking side of things, you know, probably from the Biden administration was probably backing it, pushing it. Who knows? I, I can't say that for sure, but when you go and use your credit card or debit card, the banking industry attaches a spending code to that. You know, oh, it was it falls in this category or that category. When it's been firearms, ammunition, it just falls under sporting goods within a store or whatever. The push a cup for the last couple of years has been to attach a specific credit card code to the purchase of ammunition and to the purchase of firearms. There was a big uproar and Visa, MasterCard and a couple others backed off and said, okay, we're, we're not going to touch this right now, but it's always on the table. And so what you've seen in response to that is blue states ramping it up. I believe California passed it. Red states doing preemptive bills that you can't do that in their state. Because what happens is you go and buy your gun or your ammo, they attach a credit card code to it that specifically says they bought a firearm now if the government wants to know what you got they can ask for those records which we've seen uh in the last election big government and big tech you know facebook and twitter working together to uh quiet you know and and can push down any dissenting voices and they handed over information to them it also creates a de facto registry that has people listed 
homes, <laughs> addresses, how many guns they've bought, how much ammunition, etc. So it's a it's a big concern. And so you see that again, big split between red and blue states on how they're handling it. Hello, friends. I want to take a quick break from the show to talk about the Bog Death Grip series of tripods. In 2022, Bog took on the unenviable task of making the best hunting tripod on the market even better. And in true Bog fashion, they went out and did it. With new features such as an interchangeable Arca Swiss mounting system and an ultra-smooth, infinitely adjustable ball head, it's easy to see how the next generation of Death Grip is the best yet. I personally had a chance to get my hands on the Death Grip tripods and I can tell you, they're rock solid. Even I would have trouble missing a target using one and that's saying something. They're particularly helpful for younger new hunters, but there isn't anyone that wouldn't benefit from the aiming assistance the Death Grip tripods provide. Be sure to check them out at boghunt.com. That's B-O-G hunt.com. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. That's one that I actually did some learning about and was unaware of. Um, you know, I, I'm personally, I'm not one that really, I mean, I'm pretty boring. I don't care what people know about me, but I can understand why people get upset and anxious about that type of thing. Uh, I, you know, it freaks me out when I mention something sort of off the cuff, and then later on I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed or Facebook feed and I get an ad for the thing I was talking about. So, I mean, that kind of freaks me out a little bit, but that stuff's going on all over the place. So, uh, anyway, it's a definitely a different world. When you were flipping back, you know, flipping through your old uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops magazine back in the day, or you went into a gun shop, like nobody even knew, right? It was just nobody knew. But now, like everybody knows everything so it's just a a different world um hey dogs dogs and dog bills these never go away there's just as many of them as there were back when i was at the alliance i remember working on these a bunch um what, what's generally what's the latest people still want to go after hunting dogs yeah yeah they're they're going after the hunting dogs they're uh a lot of it is disguised as you know as puppy mill bills and whatever and that gets into a very fine line you know, and again, not to break it down into red and blue, but this is another one where suburban Republicans, we, we're seeing them actually push some of these bills hmm. that they're normally pro hunting or they're pro 2A. They'll latch on and be like, hey, I need a, a warm fuzzy, you know, piece to uh, show my, my constituents that uh, I care and I do this kind of stuff. And so we'll see bills. You know, we, we saw it in Texas last last session that limit the number of breeding breedings you can do, the number of puppies, how many you can sell, uh, you know, leash laws. In theory, it's great. But unless there's an exemption or something written for hunting dogs, it can become an issue. You know, uh, training, training techniques, outside dogs. You know, a lot of these outside dog bills are meant for you know, abusive situations, which nobody wants to see dog left outside on a chain all day, you know, not fed or not exercised is a very different thing from bird dog guys putting their dogs on a drop chain or hound guys tying out a, a pack of hounds, two very different worlds. And so that's where we have to watch and keep an eye out and make sure that we can get exemptions in there or get it killed outright if they're not going to Put an exemption in because even well-intentioned whether they have ulterior motives or not can impact hunting 
and and our our hunters and our people you know whether they mean to or not mike as a dog guy i gotta throw this over to you i mean i've watched you you know when your dogs come in from the field they get a complete go you know you, you probably take care of them better than yourself so um i think that's where people lose the lose a uh, sort of track of things is that they don't realize that how hunters treat their dogs for the most part i, I mean but you have to think about there's bad players in every aspect of every profession, hobby, you name it. But yeah, I, I mean, our dogs, the way that I approach it, they can't tell me what their problem is. So they go through a specific regimen of foot check, ears check, nose check, tick check, you know, and then because of ticks and things like that they get a complete cleaning before they because my dogs always have stayed in the house with us so i don't want them in my hobby bringing something in that might harm my family so as a, as a hunter dog owner and dog lover we treat our animals with the utmost respect and love and care that a 30 second or a minute spot on a commercial you know in prime time of of abusive situations then becomes what unfortunately gets imprinted on people's brains because hundreds of thousands of people can't watch me do my post out of the woods or post out of the field routine with my dogs. So it's just yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I know growing up uh, raising hounds and having hounds to hunt raccoons with, we had them in kennels in the back. And, but these were, when I say kennel, I mean, they had concrete runs they had nice boxes where they could actually get into the shed from those boxes, um, very well taken care of. And so, uh, again, I recognize that not everybody is doing that level of care, but I've got some experience with that personally. And I think your point, Brian, is good. And that is that a lot of times these bills are well-intentioned, but they're coming from a bad place. All, typically, all you have to do is look who's pushing for the bill and who's sponsoring it. Uh, and that that will tell you what the real intent of the bill is. And so to your point, we don't want to see puppy mills and that type of thing going on. But that's not really the spirit of these bills oftentimes. Yeah, and we've seen it. I mean, again, here in Washington, this place has gone off the rails. And we saw a bill, oh, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago, that was trying to put a a measurable piece on how animals experience pain and so they equated mm. it to human pain if a human would find it painful whether psychological mental or physical then an animal would too any animal a gerbil or a, an elephant it, it would experience pain and that's how they were trying to quantify it and so i was sitting in those meetings fighting like <laughs> like a devil because i'm like I have a black lab. I go duck hunting. I send him into, you know, 34 degree water. That's going to be painful for me, but he does it willingly because he loves it. Like I can't keep him out of it. Right. That's the hard part with training to keep him out of it, you know? And so, but that's the kind of, you know, you see the nefariousness of it. Like some of it's well-intentioned. And as you said, who's sponsoring this and behind it all was a lobbyist for this Posado's, uh, Posado's safe haven, you know, rescue group organization and they've pushed a couple of other bills here and actually passed them so you know you just like what's the old saying follow the money yeah. <laughs> you'll find it follow the well, money or the special interests go ahead mike i just got to chime in there and i mean if 
technically, if anyone wants an argument about do animals experience sensation from the environment, including pain as we do, just look at how deer can stand in snow for months out of the year. Their feet do not freeze, but tell you what, if you believe that people pain and animal pain is the same, why don't you go out and stand out in the snow for 20 minutes without your shoes and socks on in 20 degree weather, and then we'll have a conversation. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, like you said, there's almost no fixing stupid. I hate saying it that way, but you know, it's someone that does not really perceive things because they're not out there to see it. I mean, it always amazes me how I'm sitting there on stand and, you know, 15 degree weather, 20 degree weather, bundled up with hundreds of dollars worth of expensive clothes on me and on base layers, et cetera. And deer walking through, you know, feet in the snow, standing there like it's not even like it's the middle of July. So it's just a very unique perspective that sometimes I can't even wrap my mind around how these people just really get something in their craw like that and just can't see it for what it is. And, and that's probably our biggest issue as, as we look at these at this stuff in our fight. It's people that aren't a part of this. They might hike or they might camp a couple of times a year, but they're not really in nature experiencing it like hunters do. They don't understand. They don't understand what's going on with the North American model and how funding takes place. They don't understand wildlife management. They don't understand what drives us to do it. Yet they'll go out and golf and spend thousands of dollars on golf and eat up wildlife habitat. And like, I don't get golf. Like I, I do it to drink beer. And that's about the only reason. Easy now. I, Easy now. I, I do it about three <laughs> holes and then I'm done. And I just drive around in the cart and drink the beer for everybody. But, you know, they, they are fine with that. They, they're like, oh, what, you hit that one shot and that keeps you. I'm like, literally, that's the same thing here. I'm out there for days and weeks on end waiting for one opportunist moment to make that shot count. And it, you were experience, experiencing the same thing just in different settings, but they can't wrap their head around it, but they still get to vote on it. And as you were talking about ballot initiatives, Nick, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They don't experience it. Plus they're removed from it. Most of them live in cities or suburbs, so they will never or rarely ever experiences the consequences and repercussions of bad management. It's the people that are further out who are living the rural lifestyle or the hunters who go out there and are seeing the wildlife and being a part of it, basically, who will understand what's happening. The folks in the city will never see that. And that's really where all this comes down to is two different worlds, two different dynamics and understandings of what's going on. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is it's very difficult for those of us in it understand why people think or feel a certain way and part of it frankly is just psychological too uh, they have a bias or an opinion i mean i see things that i'm not involved in and i ask i might ask myself well that's odd why would they do that or that doesn't seem right but then being able to just i move on then from it some of those folks can't like they don't understand what it is we do and they've got an opinion and they just know that it offends them and so therefore then they want to try to get rid of it that's a mentality okay uh, they don't want to have real conversation about it. And that's why we have groups like the Sportsman's Alliance to work on those issues. So uh, I want to ask you this. What's the big storm kind of on the horizon, you think? And when I say it, I'm thinking of like those of us that are our age will, will understand this reference. But like the Terminator movie, the very first Terminator movie at the very end when Sarah Connor's like driving away and the 
uh, the young boy takes her picture uh, and, and just sort of looks up and says, there's a storm coming. And so, yeah, there's a storm coming. Like what is, what's the storm of, and maybe it's not a specific thing. I don't know, but what's the storm on the horizon that, that hunters need to be thinking about? Uh, it, it's what I alluded to earlier with wildlife for all and the changing of game commissions. So throughout many states and it's in state law, you know, New Jersey, game commissioners have to be uh, put up by sportsmen's groups and then they're filtered and go through a process. What we're seeing here in Washington, we don't have any process like that. The governor just appoints. And so he's appointed seven out of nine of our commissioners are pro-preservation, preservationists versus conservation. And that's what it's coming down to. And that is dictating season changes again on predators, which we talked about has an ungulate effect. That is really catching on Washington, Colorado, California, Arizona. You're seeing them go after places like this. It happened two years ago in Arizona when they were doing their game management plan. The animal rights movement bombarded them with uh, comments during the open period. And that's what you're seeing is they're taking advantage of the public process, which is fine. That's what it's there for. But they've kind of bastardized the pillars of the North American model. You know, it says in the pillar, it says hunting will be applied democratically, meaning we all have the opportunity to hunt. This isn't the king's land, the old world, where only the king got to hunt the land and us peasants had to had to tend it or whatever. We all get to hunt or fish regardless of how much money you have or whatever else. Well, they've changed democratic and they've thrown it out there as we all have a voice and we're going to use that voice to ban it because that's what mm -hmm. the vast majority of us want. And they, they pretend like the vast majority of the non-hunting public wants to ban hunting. And so they bombard it during these public comment periods and then they spend the language in the media. And I mean, they're smart, they're good, but they've done this. And you're seeing it happen in the Western states right now, you know, and it will move throughout the country. And it's, you know, like I said, look into wildlife for all small little group that used to be called the Southwestern environmental policy group. Yeah. And they were weighing in on border issues and all this stuff. They changed the name HSUS CBD. All these guys are backing them. They're doing their bidding, but in a different way and it's taking foot it's taking hold right now it's taking hold and it is very tough to stop and combat yeah we're seeing it a little bit even on our end and a lot of these groups name themselves things that you think well how could you oppose them like center for biological diversity well who doesn't want biological diversity and humane society of the united states well that's that's you know my local dog shelter and it's not it's not even close and it's these are really wolves in sheep's clothing and so i just brought up wolves we could have a whole show talking about wolves but uh hey i was just thinking back to some of the more memorable things that we worked on i even when i was there but uh this popped into my mind i was like do you remember when we changed the logo oh yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. i like the logo. walk in the door and you're like here's your first job change the logo <laughs> <laughs> well i happen to like the logo but anytime you do a logo change i've done a few of those people get uh get a little worked up about it but anyway some really good information on some issues and so uh hey uh 
Mike, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit sore. As you know, I did a little bit of timber cutting and habitat work, yes, work yesterday. And so, uh, and while I was doing that, I was shooting some uh, video that Lindsay will put into a TikTok video. We've got a very robust and active uh, TikTok account here. As I'm saying that, Brian, are you guys on TikTok yet? Because I could just see, you know, Evan going in all, all in on that idea. <laughs> No, we, we haven't made it to TikTok. I, I've, I've been uh, one of those, you know, I'm really showing my middle-aged, middle-aged male whiteness here. It's like, I'm like, oh God, no, TikTok, no. But I got friends that'll send me videos. I'm like, what are you doing on there? You know, so no, I don't even know how it works. It's probably not good as a marketing guy. I need to, you know, hire somebody even younger than I have hired who can do that. Uh, no, we're mostly just on... Uh, Facebook and then Instagram has been Facebook's been dialed back so much and and they want so much pay to play that it's hard to get a, a footing anymore and get the word out. But uh, Instagram has still been pretty hot and heavy at times. Yeah, yeah, I see you on there a bunch. But how was your hunting season, by the way? Uh, it was it was good and bad. Uh, started off gangbusters. Got my first elk, nice big bull, five by six. It was the weekend of my 50th birthday. My son was with me. He called him in, called the bull in, shot it, had an adventure getting it down. We butchered it up together, you know, quartered it up and packed it out. And uh, it was, it's a hunt I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. Like that was like just special to, to have my 17 year old kid sitting there and call that thing in. And, and just, I mean, if you've ever elk hunted and you see him come out of the woods and you know, he was just silhouetted with that big old rack and bugling. And I mean, it was just awesome. And then uh, got out with my mutt and uh, chased some pheasants around. And that was pretty good. And then, well, I went and bought a house and moved right in the middle of November. And so that kind of uh, put a kibosh on my mid to late season hunting for the year. But started off great, you know, and I will take it. I, I successful season with that elk. Yeah, that sounds awesome. The doctor and I, I would say in recent memory, this has been, this was a struggling year for the both of us, but uh, we certainly stayed after it. And, you know, as part of that, I'm trying to, I mentioned doing some timber work, uh, but I, I'm forcing myself to spend more time on the actual enjoyment of hunting and preparing for hunting season, because I did very little preparation last year because I was working so much on my land. And so I'm trying to switch that. And Mike, I didn't tell you this yet, but uh, I'm actually going to leave my set my cutting link cameras out all year for three, 365 days. So uh, I'm going to give it a try. I talked to our friend, Paul Anir from Cuddyback. He said, uh, he said, go for it. You know, there's no reason you can't do that. So have you ever done something like that? Uh, no, not consciously. I've uh, for the first time this year, I forgot a game, game camera in the woods for a year. So found that in the fall, but um, <laughs> I've never let them out purposefully for the entire year. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try it. I want to see it already. It helped me catch a trespasser. So that was good. <laughs> so otherwise my cameras would have been in, uh, Brian, bring us up to date real quick on Washington. Are you still allowed to use trail cameras there? <laughs> so far, so far we're allowed. I, I did leave mine up all last year and just cause I, I was on a new piece of land that I wanted to see what was going on. Um, but then, uh, this year I took them down because I figured out, you know, after hunting season, there pretty much wasn't anything out there until spring. You know, we had snow and uh, it seems to be more of a spring, summer, fall 
uh, land. And so uh, I pulled them down this year. But uh, yeah, so far we can still use them. We'll see what happens. So this state's just, it's gone off the rails. I mean, we, 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 there's, we have an active lawsuit right now against one of the game commissioners. And there's probably about 20 more lawsuits we could file with mm-hmm. how they're doing things on policy and just pushing through. Thank goodness the tribe stepped up and they were trying to pass a conservation plan, define conservation as a directive for the department that was filled with preservationist language, all the buzzwords, biodiversity, climate change, all this that you could pretty much tuck anything under. And they were pushing it through. And at the 1159, the tribe stepped up and said, hey, we're co-managers. You need to talk to us about this. And so that has put the brakes on things. So hopefully that will slow things down at least until the gubernatorial elections in November and maybe we'll get some better leadership in this state. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I, speaking of being in the 50 club, I'm about to do that here uh, in, in a little over a week. So, uh, and as I've gotten older, I think part of the reason I'm leaving cameras out is like, I enjoy seeing all the things now. And it used to be like, I just only wanted to see the deer and the buck I was after. And so I'm gonna use it a bit of as, as a bit of a wildlife watching exercise too. But uh, uh, anyway, hey uh, folks, that's gonna be a wrap here on this episode and uh, as always we thank you for listening by the way if you haven't joined the national deer association yet what are you waiting for we have a basic free membership as well as a premium and life member option so check those out and also uh while you're at it join the sportsman's alliance as well they'd love to have you as a member and i think some of the stuff you heard here today should open your eyes a little bit to some of the things going on they're fighting the good fight and i can tell you Uh, Having tried to raise money when I was at that organization, it's very difficult to get people motivated to protect something they feel like they already have, right? So I don't get motivated, for example, to put tires on my car uh, because I still just have tires on my car. Uh, I had to pay for a broken windshield here recently, and all I got was a windshield that I had before. And so I get it that it's not always exciting to support that stuff, but it is uh, a growing concern and something I think that we all need to step up and do. Also, hey, check out our social media content. As you know, we are on every platform, including TikTok. So we have a lot of great content out there as well. Hey, Brian, where can people learn more about the Sportsman's Alliance? Yeah, uh, the website, sportsmens, M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org. That has everything you need. Uh, You can donate. If you want to donate to lawsuits, there's a specific site for doing that. Membership start at $35 and go up from there with more, you know, benefits and whatever. Uh, we're on some of the social medias, <laughs> not the TikTok. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but uh, Instagram is probably the most active one out there. Um, but you can find us just by searching for Sportsmen's Alliance. And yeah, you can also sign up uh, on the website for free. You can sign up for alerts for your state. So that's a great way to stay in touch about what's going on. We send out one weekly email that's kind of a wrap-up email, and that's completely free. And try we don't spam it or anything. So it's just if something's going on in your state and we need engagement, you'll get an alert with a button that takes you right there to a pre-written email and contact information. All right. Well, very good. We appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.